0: Good morning, everyone. My voice is slowly recovering. Uh, Only just, though, so please excuse me again. I've got my water again. I'm just going to put this one away. When we say the Apostles' Creed, it's a little bit like, um, you know, my, my son, uh, Wes, and Archie uh, as well, but Wes plays for a rugby league team, Mosfav Dragons, and so when they win the game, which lately has been a bit, not... not Unfortunately. When they win a game, they do a team song. And so they go into the sheds, and the poor parents have to wait outside. And the, they, they go into the sheds, and all we really hear is shouting and screaming and... <laughs> banging, 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 banging. In um, other words, unfortunately... ...tuned... Helpful as well. You know, me through the, I don't know if you guys get a bit as excited as I do this, but I got a question in the comment card box. <laughs> <laughs> I've been praying for this day for a long time. <laughs> so, Answer the question that was in the comment card box this person asked following up from last week um, does that mean that I cannot boast in my grandchildren's accomplishments I think we can fair to say or children's accomplishments and often we get um, uh, we might get uh, involved with that type of thing on social media as well if you' if you're in the there but not necessarily it could be conversations it, it could be emails it could be various things, Christmas cards all sorts of things uh, I'm not going to spend a the time on this, but um, I think it's a good question for us to think about. I think we're told to boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's uh, the imperative to boast in the Lord Jesus because of all what he's done for us. And we'll uh, again see that from this passage today. But if our intent is to build ourselves up, uh, well, that, that's not so good, is it? If, if that's where we find our self-worth in our children and grandchildren... Again, I think the Bible has something to say about that. We ought to find our self-worth in our relationship with the Lord Jesus. It could also be a lordship issue. So, and these are some tough questions, I realise that. But who, who do we really worship? Who's our does? lord? Um, is our lord and, and, uh, or do we worship our family more than our God? These are important questions as we type away or as we upload a picture on Facebook or whatever it might be. We've got to be also sensitive to those who have grandchildren and children that are struggling. Um, I remember I have a friend on Facebook who does this quite a bit and often pictures of how much they've been a prefect and how much they've done this and done this it's got this ATAR and all it might be and school captains and so forth and you can't help but compare it with your own children. Um, my children are wonderful and beautiful. I love them dearly. Uh, and who knows what they'll end up doing but um, some kids struggle with it uh, ha- won't happen altogether as others. So I think moderation is important. I think we should always err on the side of humility and thankfulness. And uh, and we are called. Of course, to boast in the of Jesus. There we go. That's my answer to that question. We've got a Q and A at the end of this sermon as well. um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we get into a pretty tricky part of the Bible, which Father, we thank you for uh, all the good things you give us. We thank you for relationships. We thank you marriages, um, and Lord, we thank you for all your gifts. Uh, Lord, we pray today that you would uh, guide us in our thinking, and help us to be sensitive and kind passionate. and passionate, we want to follow Jesus with all our hearts and all our minds and in all our souls. Um, in his name we pray. Amen. Well. Excuse me, Graham. Yes. The microphone's buzzing quite a lot. Is it? I the all right. There we go. Go back to that one. I'll turn this one well off. Well, I'll just off. There we go. Okay. So this one's all good. We have had a bit of trouble with this one lately. Well, let me let me uh, <laughs> get straight in. Hey, sex is serious. Sex is serious money. Uh, it's seriously available. And um, it's seriously busy and sadly it's seriously cheap in the world we live in today. And in the right circumstances, sex is also seriously good and a gift from God. But like many other ways when we turn our backs on God and do it my way, when I go outside God's good boundaries for sex, well it's abuse of something good and as you remember from last week that has, sin we spoke about, when we turn our backs on God sin is serious stuff Um, and it has serious consequences for you and for me, for the church, for the gospel and for the kingdom of God let me say from the outset as we look at this part of the Bible, we do talk about sex and relationships and marriage and so on I want to say that if you're struggling with sexual sin, God says, and we read it here clearly today, God says there's hope, and it's not a cross-your-fingers type of hope, that, I hope I'm forgiven. No, no. God says that there is a real hope, and that is of the forgiveness of sin. It's why Jesus died on the cross for us. So I want to say to you, if you're struggling, I want to say keep listening, please. Keep listening. I want to say, too, that um, if you're not sure why sex matters so much to God... And why are these Christians so uptight about it? Ugh. Why does that happen? I think this morning should help a little bit too. And if all this is too embarrassing for you to talk about in church, and that's, that's quite possible, then I want to give you a friendly reminder that Jesus spoke about sex and sexual immorality. Um, Paul spoke about it too. So I think that gives us reason to speak as well. And if you're watching this recording today, that's you. As I look down the camera, welcome. It's great to have you here with us. Please put your feet up, get a cup of coffee and keep listening. Okay, I just wanted to make acknowledgement to the uh, video recording today. So let's have a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, all of us are rotten. (laughs) Rotten. Look at this list in verses 9 and 10. I don't think any of us could say, and I think you'd be lying if you did, none of us could say that we have not committed any one of those sins. Some of us could say, I haven't done that. But none of us could say, I've never committed any one of those sins. We might, we might look pretty on the outside, but this is the reality. You see, sin has stained us. It's affected our hearts. It's affected our core being. That's what, that's what we've all done, all of us. You know, it's common practice these days, particularly at funerals, or when we speak about someone who has died. You might see it now and then. It's a funny thing, but all of a sudden, these people who have died are perfect. Do you notice that? It's funny, isn't it? Because I don't think the person who has died would have even said that. There was a classic the other day, and it is, is—it is. Um, uh, and by the way, I don't want this said at my funeral. I, I want you to acknowledge all my faults. It could be a long funeral, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but there was a classic the other day, this, this, lady, this poor young woman had, had died in a, um, a terrible... I won't go into the details, but the person who said that she, the person who spoke about her, her friend, she said she doesn't do anything wrong. Wow, this is an amazing person. Um, Isn't that interesting? She doesn't do anything wrong, they said. Now, that's not quite the truth, is it? The truth is, and the Bible tells us here, is that, and what we all know deep down, is that we all sin. These Corinthians, they knew it too. Uh, they are reminded here that we all sin. We'll, we've all done things that are wrong, done things that are selfish, things that God doesn't like. Uh, we've all rebelled against God. What Paul describes in verses 9 and 10 is really a way of life, isn't it? Uh, that's what, what it is. And, and the specific sin is not the main point. The point is, as Paul says in Romans, that we all fall short. That's the first thing we ought to notice in these first couple verses. The next thing, though, is important. And before we get on to the good news of God's work, notice in this list that God is no more against sexual sin than any other. You notice that? That this sexual sin is listed alongside greed, drunkenness, uh, slander, and so on. In other words, there's no order there's no ranking, necessarily. I can't say that word for some reason. Um, there's no ranking. Living in sin disqualifies you from the kingdom of God. Now, I, I, I love the account in, uh, in John chapter 8, where Jesus is confronted by these, uh, by these Pharisees, and they try, to, they try to trap him. And so they drag this woman um, who's caught in the act of adultery. You know that, that story? Uh, so she, they drag her up to Jesus to try to trap him and say, what are you going to do now? This this woman was caught in the act of adultery. What are you going to do? Uh, obviously, sexual sin. Uh, I'll read, I'll actually read. I'll read from John chapter 8. And uh, see if you can picture this scene a little bit. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And we're not quite sure what he was writing, by the way. And when they kept questioning him, probably more like, Badgering him, he straightened up, he stood up and he said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Uh, Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began uh, to go away, one at a time. The old ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Jesus stood up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Where have they gone? Has no one condemned you? I, I, I imagine Jesus um, was enjoying this moment. No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. See, we're, we're, all, we're all the same. We're on the same boat. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, I think Jesus here in John chapter 8, in this, this story, this account of these Pharisees, Jesus has something to say about how we respond, how we, uh, if you're a Christian person, how, how you respond to uh, sinful people. The woman caught in adultery, for example, the, the sexually immoral, the homosexual offender. How do we respond to that person? If we are all sinners, which we are, Then, like the Bible says, and and like we all know, if we're all sinners, then how we respond to sinners must not be in arrogance and without love. See, the point is, none of us deserve what God has given us. None of us deserve the grace that God has lavished on us. Therefore, boasting has no place in the Christian's response to the sexually immoral, uh, to the homosexual offender, to the thief to the greedy, to the slanderer, to the sinner. Do you see? The Christian's response to such people, remember, sinners like you and me, must never include name-calling, unhelpful comparisons that generalise or exaggerate, or any form of bullying. Jesus says his followers need to love their neighbour, Love And that comes in the context of loving the, the Samaritan, the Jew loving the Samaritan. That's loving your enemy. And so our love for them is like God's love for us. It's not measured out by how much love they show back to us. It's not measured out by how well they react to us. Do you see that? It's really important, really important have been following things in the news lately. I'm hoping you're catching my, my drift. Uh, Christian love is not dependent on the recipient's attitude. God's love's not dependent upon our attitude, is it? Christian love, therefore, is not dependent upon the attitude of the people we're loving. It's not scaled on how well they respond to us. It's not scaled on how tolerant they are to us. Christian love is love your enemy. You see that? So, so important. Okay. So I think loving our neighbour means that we'll take the time to get to know our neighbour. This will mean that we're careful with our language as we engage in conversation and, and debate, even public debate. Uh, language communicates and we must communicate love, grace and mercy first especially to the marginalised, the outcast. Okay, you might want to ask a question on that later on. We'll see how we go. All of us are rotten. That's the, the, the reality we've been talking about. But the good news is that all of us can be made new from the inside out. And that's the story of these Corinthians, the wonderful good news story that happened in Corinth when this church was planted. And of course, it can be your story, our story too. So all of us can be washed in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 11. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed. You were uh, sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Do you notice something here? Notice it's not what I've done. In the English it comes out, comes out in the Greek as well if you wanted to go that way. This is all about what God has done. They're all what's called passives. They didn't wash themselves or justify themselves. You see there's no reason for boasting, is there? They they didn't, uh, they haven't been good enough. They haven't earned God's favour. No, 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 they were bought at a price. God intervened in our brokenness. What once was rotten has been made new by faith in Jesus Christ. It's a great then and now picture, isn't it? It's the story of God's grace, God working in their lives, our lives. They've been transformed. Look how Paul describes their conversion. You were washed. They're now clean before God, forgiven. You were sanctified, separated from the godless lifestyle uh, that their godless lifestyle their status is now one who is acceptable to god so they're holy sanctified they're justified justification if you want to remember that word it just means just as if i've never sinned. it's a legal term justified they're now declared righteous in a right relationship with god so friends if you're a follower of jesus no matter what your struggle if you're a follower of jesus no matter what your struggle is this is your story God has washed you, made you clean, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's good news, isn't it? It's good news. And, and know that from this example of the with these Corinthians is that no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, you can be washed clean. You can be forgiven by the death of the Lord Jesus. So God has made them different, hasn't he? And different people, by the work of God, ought to then live differently. That's what Paul goes along to say next. He says to the Corinthians, God has washed you, he's sanctified you, he's justified you. He's made you clean. Therefore, he's made you different. Therefore, act differently. Different people think differently about sex, for example. And all three actions washed sanctified, justi- excuse me, justified, refer to this break with the old life and the beginning of a new life that ne- leads to a new lifestyle. It's why in 2 Corinthians, uh, the second, actually it's the third letter Paul writes, um, but the next letter Paul writes is that they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come but before paul gives the church these clear instructions regarding this new lifestyle as he does in verses 18 to 20 he needs to tackle a problem that's arisen in the church he needs to tell them that well their body their bodies matter their bodies matter our bodies matter so it seems that, seems that the historical background here it seems that some members of the church had been visiting prostitutes, uh, as was the custom in Corinth. See, what they would do, the, the custom was to, to feast together, uh, to have a meal together, and then you would go off and visit the prostitutes in the temple precincts, not necessarily in the temple itself. Now, the best evidence suggests that this this uh, it was a common practice, and um, uh, it, it, a number of people Partook uh, in this uh, in in all what was going on. So we see in verse twelve that they argue, and that's why it's in inverted commas. These phrases they argue that they are um, free to do, free to continue to do such things. They argue from the perspective of of our bodies don't matter. We are free to do what we want with them. Everything's permissible uh, for me. Probably a bit influenced by Plato's philosophy sort of a few, couple hundred years before. Now, that, his philosophy of the separation of the soul and the spirit and then the body. And so, in other words, the, the Corinthians, as they mimicked the city as part of the problem that they lived in, uh, we are spiritual beings. What we do with our, body, our bodies doesn't really matter. Our physical bodies, they're not, et- not, not eternal like our spirit or soul is. So our bodies don't matter that much. We can do whatever we want. Everything is permissible for me. Well, let's follow this argument just a bit and have your Bible open in front of you and you can see the, the, the Corinthians they, they say, and this is a, a Corinthian, a common Corinthian saying, they say, I've got the right to do anything. But Paul says, but hold on, no, no. No, not everything is beneficial, not everything is helpful. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, this is just physical. That's a physical thing. It's like food. And God will destroy them both. They won't last. Physical things won't last. So what doesn't matter. But then Paul responds, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. In other words, you see, bodies with a purpose. Do you see the purpose? Our bodies are for the Lord. Our bodies matter. Different people made different by the work of God. So how we use our bodies matter. Uh, sex matters. Sexuality is not just a bodily function like food. Am I food for the stomach? Stomach for food? It's just a bodily function. No, no. Sexuality is not just a bodily function. Let's keep reading. Verse fifteen. Do you not know that members? Do you not know that bo- that your bodies are members of Christ Himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body. For it is said, again, taking us back to God's good design in marriage from Genesis. For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So Paul concludes in a moment then. He says, then, therefore, flee from sexual immorality. Our bodies matter. Uniting our bodies with a prostitute uh, is not what God wants us to do. Sexual immorality is something we ought to flee from. He says, don't embrace it. Don't give in to it. Flee from it. Verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. The word there is, uh, the, the word uh, is, is pornea. Um, it comes from where pornography comes from, that, that word. pornia, means sex outside of marriage. That's probably the easiest way to understand it. Um, that includes adultery. It includes sex before marriage. It includes homosexual activity and so on. So sex outside of marriage. So flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. See, Paul's directive was, a, was radical. It was radical, totally. And it's radical for us. I've called it here in the notes this a sexual revolution, a sexual revolution that's been around since creation. The way God wants us to use our bodies in terms of sex. It's it's so countercultural to how sex is understood today. Sex today is understood as a commodity, well, it's not really that important, it's not valuable, it's just a bodily function, like in Corinth, food for the stomach, stomach for food. God tells us that our bodies matter. We ought to honor our bodies, honor honor God with our bodies. I want to pause there for a moment. In some ways, that's a, a background to what I want to talk about in the next um, few minutes, which is challenging and which rarely gets spoken about in church, rarely. I, I didn't actually ask whether, whether you've talked about uh, pornography in church over the last whatever many years, but it rarely does. And if I don't think it's right, um, actually, to, to look at this topic today and not speak about the greatest challenge with sexuality in our generation. Um, And when I say generation, the time we live in. Uh, Pornography. Uh, It's important for all of us, important for uh, men, women, um, wives, husbands, young people, older people. It is a great challenge. Let me tell you why it's a great challenge. And these statistics are from a number of different sources, um, but I want to go through them uh, with you and talk a bit about what do we do with it? What do we say? The statistics are, they are a little bit disturbing in some ways. Every, every second it, it said uh, 28,258 people view porn. The global porn industry breaks in about 4.9 billion annually. Uh, porn sites comprise around 12% of the internet. Two thirds of Australian men admit to viewing pornography. Men are 543% more likely to look at porn than females. 64% of Australian children learn about sex from pornography. That's a disturbing thing, isn't it? Uh, 56% of divorce cases involve one party having obsessive interest in pornographic websites. They're striking, aren't they? Uh, Porn is dangerous. It's dangerous stuff. Let me explain why it's dangerous. It is addictive in its its nature and and you can read good articles, I'll put a few up at the end about the addictive nature of porn and how it affects how our brain functions and works. It's inherently destructive. Uh, It destroys marriages by driving a relational wedge between spouses as one begins to prefer uh, what they see on the computer screen on their phones than um, actual sex and the other feels like they can't compete with the screens. It destroys singles, single people, when they become trapped in a cycle of pornography, uh, inhibiting them from healthy relationships with the opposite sex and forcing them to deal with the guilt and shame of this sort of double life that can be led. It objectifies women and men uh, who act in these porn films, and supports an industry that's rife with corruption, uh, sexual abuse and drug abuse, sex trafficking and suicide. Most importantly too, or most seriously, it destroys our relationship with God through uh, the worship of a twisted and counterfeit view of what the good gift of sex is. Porn is not reality. Uh, Reality is that porn itself is a great lie. Now we we tend to make excuses though, and these when I saw these statistics before, they obviously say that many people um, look at porn, uh, men and women, and uh, we 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 start to make excuses and say, well, why why do I why bother? Well, it doesn't really hurt anyone, so I can look at it. It's okay. Um, if my wife were more sexually available and adventurous, well, I wouldn't need this. People might say. If I had a wife or a husband, um, I wouldn't need this. All guys look at porn, they might say. It's how we were created. How can God give me the desire and then expect me to fight it off? This time, this next time, this will be the last time. Another excuse that people will say. So there's a bit of background, I suppose. Um, How do we fight it then? How do we fight it? If it's so prevalent... And statistically in this room, there'll be people who struggle with it. How how do we fight temptation? Well, I want to tell you that the the first, most important thing here, please don't forget this, is that we repeat the story. We remember grace. Now, the story I'm referring to is the story of how God has worked in your life, how he's worked in the Corinthians' life too. Repeat the story. Remember the work of God. Ah, it is inevitable, if you are anywhere near a screen of some sort, and the internet, that you'll stumble across pornography. It is that prevalent and that easy. Um, I remember when I was a young kid, a teenager, we had to we had had to sneak into my Simon's dad. I don't know his surname. He lived up the road. Um, Simon's dad had a pile of uh, penthouses and playboys about that high under his bed. And so we'd have to sneak into Simon's place and nick them before his dad found out. And look at the look at them. Um, that's that. That was what had to happen then. Or you had to steal it from the newsagent. Um, that's not the case anymore. These days, it is very very easy. It is inevitable. If you are on the internet, you will stumble across at some point. And if you want to, it's not that hard at all. Uh, repeat the story. If you've stumbled, repeat the story, ask for forgiveness and as Jesus says, go now, leave your life of sin. Uh, We often feel, speaking off notes a little bit here, we often feel like we're a fraud. If we're caught up in this, if you know someone who is and you've stumbled in this way and you're not alone and many, many have... If you have stumbled in this way, we feel like a bit of a fraud that because I've done this and I look at this or I've looked at this, I can't do other things. I can't go and lead a service. I can't lead a Bible study group. I can't read the Bible in public. I've just got to step back. We're forgetting the story. If if that's you. We're stuck in this guilty, uh, this stuck in guilt. We're forgetting what God has done. And we're all of a sudden thinking that I have to, God will only accept me when I am perfect. Don't forget the story. Remember that sin of sexual immorality is listed amongst a whole bunch of other sins. Remember the grace of God. Remember that, that uh, you can be forgiven. Remember that woman who was caught in the act of adultery and met Jesus. Remember the story. Second, examine your ways. Uh, often uh, when I've heard rare talks on this, I've I've actually done more talks on it. I've spoken about it publicly than I've heard. That's not a good thing. <laughs> um, I've, I've Examine your ways. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6.18 says flee from sexual immorality. But I'll, I'll have 2 Timothy 2.22. Easy to remember. It's like Just think Richard Benno. That's a new joke. That's all right. Um, Two for 22. Uh, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure heart. So, yes, we flee from sexual immorality, but fill it with something good. We flee from what's not good, but pursue something that's great. Pursue faith, love, and hope along with these. So, yes, there's a negative there. We, we, we need to flee from it. Get, get right away. Literally run away from it. But then run toward these good things. You see that? Fill your mind with, with better things. Faith, love, peace and so on. Flee, pursue. As we examine our ways, flee and pursue. The last one, bear with me for a moment. Go public. Now, I'm not saying you need to go up in front and tell everyone about your sins up in front of the church. Don't need to do that. But uh, I love this line I read. It's actually from one of the articles I recommend at the moment. The struggle with porn is like mould. It grows best in the dark. You like that? It's true, isn't it? It's Like mould. We know about mould. We live in Robertson. Um, <laughs> the struggle is porn, with porn is like mould. So if this is your struggle, again, you're not alone. And can I encourage you to tell someone? If you're, if you're married, you need to tell your wife. You need to talk about it with her uh, or your husband. Tell a friend who'll help you. That's why small groups are so, so important to be involved with. Tell a friend who will help you, who will be honest with you, who will keep you accountable. There are a number of different um, websites and, and, uh, and programs or uh, filters you can put on your phone and you can put on your on your computer at home to help. Um, they're excellent. Uh, but tell a friend. Bring the darkness of this sin into the light. Uh, another line from one of these articles: No one ever regretted saying no to temptations. No one ever regretted that. Okay. Now you might have some questions about this. Um, See it in the context of what we talked about in 1 Corinthians 6. I hope you've done that. Here's some resources. If you've got a, a, um, a pen or write it down, you can come and ask me and I can, or I can email these to Email me and I'll email them back. The Gospel Coalition, uh, the US site, has a number of good articles and there's one here also, the second one? No, they're both from the US site. There's some good ones from the Australian Gospel Coalition site as well. Um, this book here is a book by Scott Petty. Um, I'm spending the weekend with Scott this weekend how about that uh, I was just talking about this last night but great little book we've actually got some copies of it well, one copy of it with the other books in the series uh, in our little library there I've got a copy you can always borrow if you want to or even better buy it um, great for kids I'm going to encourage the I've already written to some parents of, uh, who I know are away this weekend to talk to your children about it um, please this is an opportunity what did you think of Graham's sermon this morning, or, or, if you, the, what I'm going to say tonight for the parents tonight is, what, what did you think of, you know, what did you think of the sermon? Uh, start the conversation. Talk about it with them. Okay. What I said to my kids was, kids, I'm talking about pornography tonight. Let's talk about that. <laughs> they're used to me being very blunt. Um, okay. I can give you more. I didn't want to overwhelm you with resources, but they they're some good ones to get the ball rolling if you want to. Um, OK, we'll leave it there and I'll give you a moment if you want to ask a question uh, or make a comment, can I encourage you, this is, a, this is I, I, would, I would hope, um, and I think it is, this is a safe place to ask a question, um, to make a comment, there's no, no such thing as a bad question. Uh, you might also want to take up the comment cards if you've got a more personal question that you'd like me to address maybe next week. That'd be fine as well. Or me to catch up with you on. Okay. Anyone have a question or a comment? Yeah. Is that title right on the first one? Five surefire ways to motivate your son to use pornography? Um, yes. It's a really good one. Um, it goes through all the mistakes. Yeah. No, no, no. It goes through mistakes that parents make um, about that encourages kids to, to find a... Find a, their um, their refuge, say, in pornography. So, for example, I haven't gone into this, but thank you for saying that. That, for example, it, it um, mums and dads work on your marriage, have a Christian marriage that's affectionate and, and publicly affectionate, and that, that's a good thing. So, kids understand that sex um, is good. Mum and dad, don't you know? Just be careful how you do this. But mum and dad, it's okay for mum and dad to have a sexual relationship. That's a good thing, um, and we'll talk more about this next week, actually, as well, in the week after. Please make sure you come next week. Now that I've said that, um, so yeah, it, 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 it's worth reading. But there's a whole bunch of things that we can do at home that um, that would encourage our kids to look at pornography. We don't we don't want to do that, clearly, and so it, worth reading. All right. Um, one of them is having a, having a good Relationship, um as as uh parents it's to shock you yeah well it's it's uh, these are surefire ways to make your son go and look at porn in other words have a poor relationship as a mum and dad fight with each other the whole time don't be affectionate um dad uh read your bible and make sure your kids are you know, or mum as well. Make sure you make sure your kids are seeing you grow in a Christian growing your relationship with God. Um, uh, ha, have a you know have a computer out in the open. So if all your computers and screens are locked away in dark rooms and no one can see, that's a sure, fire way to encourage your son or daughter um, to look at porn. Yep. Any other question or comment? yeah yeah so yeah sharing the links is probably a good way to... yeah go to the gospel if you go to gospel coalition and search um, pornography uh, you'll be fine um if you uh, you, you know you, yes you've got to be you got to be careful a really tragic story that I was involved with the youth ministry that was years ago that was called teens club um we start. this was back in the early 2000s and so we got a website up going. Problem is if you search Teens Club um, you came across porn. That wasn't good so we changed the name um, but anyway so you've got to be very careful Yeah, I, I'd always suggest get a recommendation of a website first that's how you should do it so you know the Gospel Coalition is great um, uh, even our Sydney Diocesan website has great links that, to follow the YouthWorks website is, is really good I can keep going, but don't just do a big search. You'll come up with things that probably aren't helpful. Yeah, thanks, Rod. Anyone else? Okay, all right. Thank you, and uh, that's good listening. I know it's a difficult topic. Um, I'm going to pray for us. Hey, let's do that. Father, we uh, we thank you for your word to us. Um, We thank you, God, that you are. uh, a forgiving and gracious God, Lord. We remember that that other woman who basically crashed this party that Jesus was at with the Pharisees, and uh, the the Pharisees didn't welcome Jesus at all. But um, this woman washed Jesus' feet in her tears and in her uh, in her sorrow for her sin, and Jesus forgave her sin. Lord, may we remember the grace of God. And, and Jesus' words to that adulterous woman also from John 8 um, go now and leave your life of sin Lord help us to do that Lord you've made us different you've washed us you've sanctified us you've justified us in the name of the Lord Jesus so Lord we pray that we would respond to be different people um, and particularly in this area of sexuality as we respond to that in Jesus name, Amen Thank you, Graeme. In response to that, we're going to sing, and we're going to sing about how God, God's grace and how he loved us and how he has forgiven us. So let's stand and sing how deep the Father's love for us.